following message from Pastor Kit Johnson comes to you from LifePoint Baptist Church in Apple Valley, California, where we pray that God's Word is a real blessing to you. We can turn your Bibles to Matthew chapter 5 today. We're going to continue to work our way through the Sermon on the Mount by looking at verses 38 to 42. You know, when we, uh, when we began this series uh, back, I think, the last Sunday of April, um, so it's been a while, um, I mentioned that, that one of the reasons that the Sermon on the Mount is so powerful and so revered is because Jesus does a masterful job of cutting through all the hypocrisy of, of man-made religion. You know, so, so he drives us to a genuine heart godliness that, that, frankly, most religions don't even try to get people to pursue. And most religions would say that, that there's really no way that you can stop people from fighting for their rights, holding grudges, lusting, being angry. So, so, so we're not even going to try and go after those things. We'll just create kind of a, a shell of godliness that looks good on the outside, And we're just going to kind of pretend like those other things don't matter. But Jesus comes along in the Sermon on the Mount and He says, no, no, no. True godliness has to transform everything about you. Down to your heart. Down to your deepest thoughts, your deepest emotions. Everything about you. And and, and Jesus can make the demands that most religions don't even try to make Because through the gospel, he has given the power to us to actually pursue these things. Now, of course, we're not going to get there perfectly this side of glory. But there is power in the gospel to do things that that most people would say are impossible. And and, and we see that in our text today, that that we come across another stunning example of this high standard that, that... that you will never reach apart from Christ. So Matthew 5.38 says, You have heard that it was said, an eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth. But I tell you not to resist an evil person. But whoever slaps you on the right cheek, turn the other to him also. If anyone wants to sue you and take away your tunic, let him have your cloak also. And whoever compels you to go one mile, go with him too. Give to him who asks you, and from him who wants to borrow from you, do not turn away. Now, this passage grabs our attention, um, for one, because it is so contrary, uh, it seems at least on the surface, it seems so contrary to our normal assumptions about justice and about self-defense and aggression. And as well, it seems to be contrary from a lot of what we seem to see in the rest of Scripture. So, So therefore... Uh, This passage comes up in a lot of debates about self-defense, just war, uh, judicial system, and and many other things. So, of course, you probably know that on the one hand, you've got people like the Mennonites and the Quakers and and other pacifists who who point to this passage and they're going to say that all war, all violence, all aggression is is inherently sinful. And then you've got other people on the other side they're just going to try and totally explain this passage away and pretend like it's not even in the Bible. And that debate is not just a, you know, a theoretical debate for ethicists, right, is it? I mean, it's one that, 
becomes practical very quickly. So is it okay for you to have a gun? What will you do if someone breaks into your home? Should you have a security system? What should your kids do with the bully at school? How do you respond to the homeless man on the corner asking for money? Or what do you do with your irresponsible family member who always seems to be short $100 and is always asking for money? Now, now Jesus doesn't fully answer all of those questions in this passage, but he does assert a foundational principle that, that must guide your answers to all of them. And specifically, my summary of Jesus' message in this text is, is that it is that Christ's disciples must be known for grace and generosity, not wrath and vengeance. And of course, we'll unpack that as we go today. So, so notice, first of all, that, that Jesus mentions the fact that the law commended justice. So, so as Jesus has done in the last four paragraphs uh, of this sermon, uh, he begins by citing one of the demands of the Old Testament law. So again, verse 38 says, You have heard that it was said, an eye for an eye, and a tooth for a tooth. Now, that is a familiar statement, uh, but, but both in Jesus' day and in ours, it, it's a statement that is oftentimes misunderstood. So, so we need to take some time to think, first of all, about what was God's original intent in making that statement. And so, first of all, we need to understand that God wanted, in giving this statement, to create a just judicial system. Now, now, that word judicial is really important for understanding that statement, an eye for an eye and a tooth for tooth. So it comes up three times in the law, in Exodus, Leviticus, and Deuteronomy. And in all three contexts, God is giving guidance for Israel's judicial system. All right? So, so he is not primarily talking about your personal behavior. All right? So, so contrary to what we sometimes think, God is not telling us, as ordinary citizens, how to respond to evil. Now, now that's not to say that we can't learn something about what justice is and how we should respond to certain issues from from this principle that that God is laying out. But, But let's be clear that God has not given you the responsibility to gouge out people's eyes or to cut off their arms or to knock out their teeth. God has given that responsibility to the judicial system. All right, and, uh, and, and God makes that clear for us in Romans 13, where it says, Let every soul be subject to the governing authorities, for there is no authority except from God, and, from, and the authorities that exist are appointed by God. For He, speaking of the minister of the government, is God's minister to you for good. But if you do evil, be afraid, for He does not bear the sword in vain. For he is God's minister and avenger to execute wrath on him who practices evil. So, so God is very clear in the scriptures that justice belongs to the government, fundamentally. And God's point in telling the government back in the law, an eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth, was to say, make sure that the punishment fits the crime. And that's important, right? Because for one, you don't want the government to overpunish crime, which sometimes happens. You know, where where someone commits something that really isn't a big deal and and they just get blasted and and their lives get destroyed. That happens in various governments. And then, on the other hand, you don't want the government to underpunish. Or someone commits a serious crime and and they don't receive the the, the consequences that they should. And, And probably more than anything, God wanted them 
not to play favorites with the rich and powerful who could give them something in return and and have means to influence the government. No, God wanted Israel to have a just judicial system. And of course, that's a good word for our day. Because, you know, sometimes we see these high-profile cases come up that are on the news and all over uh, the paper and so forth, and, and people get passionate about these various things, and they get really mad. And they don't want the courts to do justice. They want the courts to satisfy their rage. Or, on the other hand, you know, they really like so-and-so. You know, this is a TV personality, and they got in trouble, and I don't want to see my... You know, this person I like get in trouble, so, so we hope that the courts will be kind. You know, politics don't serve justice well. So, so the court system, the judicial system, is there to bring about justice. And, and so God demands that the punishment fits the crime and the facts surrounding the crime. And by the way, in the long run, that serves everyone well. Justice is a good thing for society. So so God wanted to create a just judicial system, and then secondly, God wanted to prevent vengeance and vigilante justice. Now again, this is important because self-interest and emotion often skew our understanding of justice. You know, so we see that again all the time. People get angry, they get bitter about how someone sinned against them, and they don't want justice, they want revenge over how they were mistreated. And sadly, sometimes people even resort to vigilante justice. But it's interesting that the law actually condemned that sort of thing. Leviticus chapter 19, verses 17 through 18 say, You shall not hate your brother in your heart. You shall surely rebuke your neighbor and not bear sin because of him. You shall not take vengeance, nor bear any grudge against the children of your people. But you shall love your neighbor as yourself. I am the Lord. Now God here understands that bitterness and vengeance will destroy any people. They destroy relationships. They, they, they even, I mean, God understood that, that bitterness and rage would destroy the very foundations of Israel's society. So, so he demanded of them that Israel's government be proactive in pursuing true justice so that citizens would be less tempted to take it into their own hands. And you know, not just for the government, but for us, this is a very good word. Because so often we get bitter about other people's sins, whether it's a big sin that's going to go to court or just some minor sin that takes place at home or in the workplace. And over time, that, that, that anger over how we have sinned against, been sinned against turns into bitterness. And it skews our sense of justice. I mean, we feel like someone has done something devastating because of how our emotions are tied into the situation when in reality it wasn't really that big of a deal to begin with. And so we need to heed the command of, Levit- of Leviticus 19 that when you see sin, especially sin against yourself, Rebuke it, but refuse to grow bitter. And especially refuse to seek vengeance. Instead, as God says, replace bitterness with neighborly love. So in sum, many people look at an eye for an eye and a tooth for tooth 
as justification to get their pound of flesh. You know, God said, well, he took my eye, and by golly, I'm going to get his back. And, and others, of course, would probably see an eye for an eye and a tooth for tooth as, as unkind and unforgiving. You know, God should just be nice to everyone. But God here is simply demanding justice because God understands that in a world of sin, a fair justice system is a grace that serves everyone well. It discourages crime and protects society. But of course, sinners oftentimes twist God's good commands, His good graces, and sadly, that's what many people in Jesus' day were doing. So so to understand our text, we also need to understand a contemporary abuse of, of this principle from the law. So specifically, many people in Jesus' day were twisting this principle into justification to be harsh and vindictive. You know, their attitude, like so many today, was no one's going to walk all over me and no one is going to take advantage of me. I'm going to get mine. So if someone hurts me, I'm going to hurt them back. And, and you know, as for as much as our society likes to talk about peace and love, those same impulses are very much in our hearts as well. That, that so often, again, when you look at the national conversation, we don't want justice. We want vengeance. Because we're bitter and we're mad. And, and that fact provides important context for our text. Because as with the previous four paragraphs, Jesus is not just simply deepening a demand of the law. So so again, we've got six paragraphs in a row where where Jesus quotes a statement from the law and and then he deepens it. He he adds a a depth of of, of godliness to what the law demanded. But but it's not just that. In in all of them, he's also concerned about an abuse or or a misunderstanding of, of what the law said. And the same is going on here. So so Jesus is challenging the people that that an eye for an eye does not mean that that you are justified to go out and and get your pound of flesh. That he's going to push us to something deeper, something better. And in verses 39 through 42, Jesus corrects that desire for vengeance and Jesus commends grace and generosity. Now, as I said in my introduction, uh, these verses come up in in lots of debates about ethics and so forth. And and, and so, you know, the question comes up, is Jesus here contradicting the idea of an eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth? And and is he commending pacifism in its place? You know, that that you should just sit back and uh, let people hurt you. And if he is, well, how does that fit with the rest of Scripture? Because you look at the Old Testament, and the Old Testament is hardly a story of pacifism. There are wars and aggression and violence everywhere. So what exactly is Jesus saying when he says, turn the other cheek? When he says, go the extra mile and, and all these other things? Well, well, I'd like to make two primary points, which we'll go ahead and which we'll unpack in a moment as we walk through the text. So first of all, Jesus here is condemning a vengeful selfish response to evil. So so we know that Jesus here cannot be teaching pacifism because that would be contrary to what we see in the rest of Scripture. So David, Paul, and many others in Scripture did not just stand by and let people walk all over them in a way that was destructive. So David ran from Saul. 
He fought back against the Philistines. You know, Paul, uh, when he was going to be arrested unjustly, snuck out of town. And when he went to court and people were making false accusations against him, he defended his case. So, So the Bible does not teach that godliness means being a doormat. And the Bible also urges us to defend the weak who are being uh, wrongly treated. So Psalm 82, verses 3 and 4 say, Defend the poor and fatherless. Do justice to the afflicted and needy. Deliver the poor and needy. Free them from the hand of the wicked. So so God is clear that, that, that we are also responsible to stand up for those that can't stand for themselves. And since Scripture does not contradict itself, Our text cannot be contradicting what God clearly says elsewhere. So we'll see that Jesus here is not condemning a just and loving resistance to evil that is motivated by truth, motivated by protecting life. No, instead, he is condemning a vengeful, selfish response to evil. And in its place, Jesus is again commending grace and generosity. Now, now we're going to see, as we walk through this text and really understand the context for for what Jesus is saying, that that rather than than, than urging us to selfishly fight for our rights, he is telling us that instead we ought to be wired for grace and generosity. I think a wonderful expression of this uh, that really builds off of our text is Romans 12, verses 19 through 21, which say, Beloved, do not avenge yourselves. But rather give place to wrath, for it is written, Vengeance is mine, I will repay, says the Lord. Therefore, if your enemy is hungry, feed him. If he is thirsty, give him drink. For in doing so, you will heap coals of fire on his head. Do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. So so both this passage here in Romans 12, and as well our text for today, urge us, that we shouldn't feed that cycle of ever escalating evil. So, so, right, you know, that's what happens on the playground. You know, one kid throws a pebble at, one, at the other kid, and so he picks up a brick and throws a brick at him, you know, and, and of course it escalates really quickly. And, and so we, 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 you know, sometimes we want to answer wrongs with more wrongs. And God tells us in Romans 12, you don't overcome evil with evil. You overcome evil with good. And that's so important when there's conflict in a marriage, at school, at the workplace, in the church, in every other location, that, that, that when people wrong you, you cannot sink to the level of their wrongs and seek vengeance. That you overcome evil, not with evil, but with good. And, and, so, and so that is what Jesus is calling us to. He is ri- calling us to rise above with grace and generosity and truth. And so with all that said, let's walk through the the four examples that God gives us in the text. And uh, so so, uh, verse 39 opens uh, with a a shocking statement. So verse 38 said, said, uh, an eye for an eye and a tooth for a truth. But Jesus answers in verse 39 and says, but I tell you not to resist an evil person. Now, that is a shocking statement, again, isn't it? In light of, especially, the broader testimony of Scripture. So, so, so we have to understand, first of all, that, that Jesus here cannot mean 
that never under any circumstances should you resist an evil person, right? He can't mean that. Uh, Because, no, rather, uh, the verb that Jesus uses specifically concerns resistance in in a court of law. So so the verb that's translated resist is a legal term. So so, so think here in terms uh, of someone at court. So someone is fighting you in court, and, and Jesus says, do not resist in that context. So, so it would be parallel uh, to what we see, for example, in 1 Corinthians 6. So remember the story there? The, 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 the people in the Corinthian church are taking each other to secular court. They're fighting out their battles in a secular courtroom. And, and, and Paul condemns them for, for selfishly defending their turf. For, 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 for doing everything they can to, to just stand for their rights, to fight for their own territory. And, and, and he says... You know, it's better to suffer harm than, than, than to drag the name of Christ through the mud. And, and that's what Jesus is saying here. That the Jews had turned an eye for an eye into justification to get your pound of flesh. But the Spirit of Christ is willing to sacrifice myself for the good of others and for my gospel witness. And, and in light of that, Jesus follows with his first illustration. He says at the end of verse 39, but whoever slaps you on your right cheek, turn the other to him also. Now, now this is one of those statements that is frequently misunderstood and abused because we we don't think about the significance of slapping someone across the face. And and really, when you step back and think about it, it makes perfectly good sense. So, So specifically, what we need to understand is that when you slap someone across the face, you know, that that's not the same as, as throwing a right hook, right? Like, like if you want to hurt someone physically, you don't go like this. You go like this. And, and so in, in the ancient world, like in ours, a, a slap across the face is not so much about trying to knock someone's teeth out as it is an insult. You see that several times in the New Testament where, where, where a, I think a, a Paul gets slapped across the face when, when he is before the Sanhedrin. And, and the point is not to hurt him as much as it is to insult him. So, so, so that's the point that Jesus is making. So, so Jesus is saying that when people insult you or, or when they slander your name, don't sink to their level. I think a great... An example of this in the Old Testament is Proverbs 26, verse 4, which says, Do not answer a fool according to his folly, lest you also be like him. So so that's important, right? Because because if someone is slandering your name, they are making accusations against you, they are gossiping against you, then then it's very natural for us to, to want an eye for an eye. But Jesus commands you to resist that urge. Do not be like the fool. And and stay above it, as as we saw earlier. Leave vengeance in the hands of God. You know, and sometimes the best way to love a a brother or sister is just bite your lip and say nothing at all. And let it go. And uh, now, now that's not to say that there aren't times when you shouldn't, when you should answer the fool. So in fact, the very next verse in Proverbs 26 says, Answer a fool according to his folly, lest he be wise in his own eyes. Now sometimes you love the fool 
by helping him understand that he is a fool, right? I mean, that's, that's the point of the explanation at the end of the verse. You don't want him to think he's smarter than he actually is. So the situations can vary. So if God's honor, the good of another person, sometimes maybe by slandering you, they're affecting your ability to minister and serve others. There are times when you need to to make corrections and stand up for yourself. But, But the point is that we always need to make sure that love, not selfishness and vengeance, are what's driving our response. You know, that you know, some guy is out there you know, ripping you to shreds on Facebook or sending emails to people, and, and you know it's nonsense. A lot of times, you're just best to just leave it alone. Don't say anything. Don't complain. Don't explain. Just let it go. Let, let, the, fool be like, let, let the fool be the fool, and don't be like him. And that's really the point that Jesus is making here. That vengeance does not belong to you, it belongs to the Lord. So so leave it in his hands. So so that's the first illustration. Then the second illustration Jesus gives comes in verse 40. He says, if anyone wants to sue you and take away your tunic, let him have your cloak also. Now, Now notice that this illustration here is specifically concerned with a courtroom, right? Because he says... If anyone wants to sue you. So, so, so to understand this verse, you have to recognize that, that the person trying to take your shirt is not a thief, right? Trying to steal your shirt. No, no the point is, is, is that he has some kind of rightful legal claim against you. And, um, and, and so, we can, so we need to assume that as we come to this verse. And so in Jesus' day, the background seems to be uh, that, that if someone was not able to pay their debt... You have a debt against another individual, and you haven't paid it, and you can't pay it, uh, that one thing that, that they, you could do is take the person to court, and the court, as a method of payment, would sometimes demand your inner shirt. So they think they would have a, a, an inner garment that they would wear, and then they'd have their outer coat that go over the top. And, and, so, and so the court could demand your, your inner garment as payment. But it's interesting that the court could not demand that you hand over your coat or your or your cloak, so to speak. In fact, um, back up here. There we go. Uh, Exodus 22, verses 25 through 27 say, that if you lend money to any of my people who are poor among you, you shall not be like a money lender to him. You shall not charge him interest. If you ever take your neighbor's garment as a pledge, speaking there of that outer garment, you shall return it to him before the sun goes down. For that is his only covering. It is his garment for his skin. What will he sleep in? And it will be that when he cries to me, I will hear, for I am gracious. I think that is just a fascinating little example from the Scriptures of the fact that that God cares for people. And that God doesn't want uh, people to take advantage of each other and use each other. That, that, you know, you take away a guy's coat, he's going to get sick. And that's a problem. And And so if you're going to get your due, make sure that you do it the right way. So, so a coat, your, your coat was, was an essentially, you could say, an inalienable right. But, but Jesus tells his disciples, you know, let's say you've got a debt that you can't pay or you haven't paid. And, and this person takes you to court and, um, and, and you have to give your shirt to pay the debt. 
Jesus says you ought to be willing to go above and beyond what is justified to make it right. So, so don't just do the minimum. No. If, if, if your shirt, if you have sinned against someone, go above and beyond and even be willing to sacrifice your coat if need be to truly bring about reconciliation. Now, now with, this, with a story like this, with an illustration like this, I think it's important that we recognize that this is an illustration, right? And, and, and as well, I think it's, it's fair to, to assume that Jesus is using some level of hyperbole here or exaggeration to, to really drive home the point. Like there's a shock value that Jesus is going for with this statement. So, so we need to make sure that, that we focus in on what is the heart uh, the, 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 the heart that Jesus has in, in giving this illustration, not so much that we lock in on you know, some literal you know, tit-for-tat a- application. So, so what is the heart that Jesus is going for? Well, the point is, is that rather than selfishly fighting for every square inch of my rights, I need to be gracious and generous. So you have a debt to pay. Or, or you have sinned against someone in a particular way. You know, your thought should not be, what is the bare minimum I have to do to fulfill my obligation? Your thought should be, wow, I, I, I sinned, or, or I failed to come through. So I want to go above and beyond. I want to be generous in making right how I have sinned or how I have hurt someone. You know, and that is such an important principle for, for reconciling relationships, isn't it? You know, I've, I've done enough counseling over the years to know that that if, you know, if you've got a, a broken marriage or another broken relationship and people come into my office and, and you can tell right from the outset, you know, they will own most of what they've done, but they're not going to cross a line. They will do the minimum that they have to do to, to fix the problem, but they're not going to go above and beyond. And the other person, they're on the other side of the room and they're standing their turf too. And yeah, I'll walk right up to the line, but I... I'm not, I'm not doing it. I mean, I've, I've done enough. And they want to tell you about all that they've done and how all that, per, that person's done all these other horrible things. Then it's like, well, we're not going to get anywhere today. I mean, you usually know that within like two minutes. But when people come in and, and, and clearly they are grieved over how they have broken the relationship and they want to do whatever they can to make it right, you can make a lot of progress. And, and that's what we see from Jesus here. That when you have done something to break a relationship, you need to be generous in going after all that you can, all that you can to make it right. And then the third illustration that Jesus gives is uh, in verse 41 where he says, And whoever compels you to go one mile, go with him too. Now, now this is an illustration that that, that probably for us is, is a little bit hard to understand because uh, to really understand this illustration, you have to understand uh, the situation, the background to what Jesus is saying. And this illustration would have hit a particularly sore spot uh, for Jesus' disciples. And that's because uh, the background to this illustration is that the Romans had given the Roman soldiers the authority to enlist any Jew to carry their things for up to a Roman mile, which was essentially a thousand steps. So, 
That's what we see, for example, uh, when Jesus is going to Golgotha and he couldn't carry the cross. And so the Romans just grab Simon and he doesn't have any option. They just say, you, carry that there. And he has to do it. And, And so just imagine how humiliating and frustrating that sort of rule would be. You know, let's say that that our country at some point was occupied. Let's say that North Korea occupied the United States of America. And uh, you hate the fact that these soldiers are there um, taking away your freedoms. And so you're out, though, one day. You're you're, you're at work. You're trying to provide for your family. You're going about your just normal business. And this soldier walks up to you with a smirk on his face and says, Hey, buddy, pick up my backpack. And you're carrying it a mile. Now, what would your response be? I mean, you're, you know, he's telling you, and it's humiliating, right? Because because it is a sign of his oppression of you. It's exhausting because he's got this heavy load and you've got to carry it a thousand steps or a Roman mile. And it's very inconvenient. You're at work. And he's saying, you've got to drop your work and you've got to carry this. And of course, you know, you don't just have to go a mile. You've got to walk back when you're done. And so, how would you respond? Well, most people would probably... I mean, they've got no other option, so they've got to do it. They're going to do it begrudgingly, and I guarantee they're going to count every step. And when they are at 999 and they hit 1,000, down that bag goes, and I'm out of here. But Jesus says, don't just do the obligatory mile. No, no, we've adapted this verse to say, go the extra mile. He says, be willing to go above and beyond in being helpful. And, uh, and even towards those ugly Romans that do so many horrible things. Now that's hard, right? It's one thing to be helpful when you really care about someone. Or or they're really appreciative of your help, they're saying thank you, or or they really want to return the favor. But have you ever uh, gone over to help someone who's lazy, unthoughtful, and unthankful? I mean, you're over there, you're, you're giving up your time because they can't take care of themselves and, and they're lazy and maybe they're even cranky and kind of bossing you around. You're like, look, buddy, I'm being kind to you here. And, and you know, you, we, we get this martyr complex like, woe is me, I'm doing so much and this guy doesn't appreciate it. And if this person is an enemy, like the Romans were, well, it gets a whole lot harder. But Jesus urges us to be generous and gracious even towards people who are cruel and unthankful. So don't be someone who who just looks to do the minimum, whether it's at work, with the chores around the house, or or when you're helping a neighbor. You know, thinking, what's the minimum I can do and not look bad? No. Be someone who looks for excuses to be generous. That, That if you have an opportunity to help someone, You want to help them and do everything you can to help. As we'll look at next week, Lord willing, he's going to say in verse 43 uh, that that we are, or excuse me, later on in in verses 43 through 48, that that we are to love our enemies and be generous to them. And then the fourth illustration that Jesus gives is in verse 42. He says, give to him who asks you, and from him who wants to borrow from you, do not turn away. Now, now again, it's important that we read that verse in context of the rest of Scripture and in light of the Spirit that Jesus is encouraging throughout this paragraph. So, 
So, so Jesus here is not literally saying that you should give everyone everything they ask for. Or, or that anyone who asks you to loan them 100 bucks, you just naturally hand it over. All right? Because the Bible would say that you are responsible to provide for your own family. You know, if you give everything away to the point that you can't fulfill that responsibility, that's not a good thing. You know, the Bible would also say that, that we need to prioritize the, the spread of the gospel. And so, and so we have priorities that, that, that need to matter to us. And I think we also recognize that the wrong type of generosity often does more harm than good, right? So, so, so you don't want to feed laziness and irresponsibility in someone by inappropriately helping them. Sometimes helping hurts more than it helps. But, but in this context, Jesus isn't thinking about all those things, right? No. I mean, when you think about this verse in context, uh, in, he is confronting, again, that selfish, vindictive spirit that would twist an eye for an eye to mean that, that I should only be concerned for, for myself and for doing the minimum that affects me. And Jesus says to that person that, that we should be more focused on finding excuses to be generous than on finding excuses not to be generous. And when someone asks you for help, your first impulse should not be uh, how can I find a way to slither out of this and not have to do anything? No, your first impulse should be, I want to be a blessing. I want to be a help. And, and, and if it becomes clear that that's not what I should do, then I won't do it, but, but I want to be helpful. Aren't you thankful for generous people? You know, it's such a blessing uh, to have friends that, that are always asking to help rather than always asking for help. You know, or someone that, that when, you, when you need something and you go and say, hey, hey, can you help me out with this? They're not like, well, I guess I'll help you. And they're cranky the whole time they do it. But instead, man, they're, they're thankful for the opportunity to jump in and be a blessing and, 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 they, and they enjoy serving. You know, we've got a lot of people like that in our church. I think all of us have been around and know our church well could probably think of a, a number of people in our church that, that have that spirit. And you know what's interesting about almost all of them is that it's not like they've got nothing on their plate. Like they don't have excuses about how full their schedule is and they've got this going on and that going on. You know, it's that the Spirit of Christ is at work in them, producing love, generosity, and grace, and they love to serve. And they are a blessing, not just for what they do, but because of the clear Christ-like heart that drives it. So, so I want to challenge you to be that person. You know, don't be the guy that, you know, it's counting pennies. The Scrooge, which is really what Jesus is confronting in that person. You know, I'll walk up to my line of, 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 of responsibility, but I'm not crossing it. You know, they're counting the minutes, counting the hours. You know, the guy at work, like, as soon as that clock hits 5 o'clock, Boom, he's out the door. Don't be that person. No, be someone who is gracious and generous even when you are wronged, even when people hurt you. you know, so, so Jesus is asking a lot of us in this passage. He is asking us to have a spirit of grace and generosity that is not normal. 
But I think it's important to remember today that, that Jesus here is not asking more of us than he has already demonstrated to us. Now, 1 Peter chapter 2. Uh, Peter here is talking to slaves, who, uh, many of whom are living in very difficult circumstances. And he says to these slaves, or what credit is it if, when you are beaten for your faults, you take it patiently? But when you do good and then suffer, if you take it patiently, this is commendable before God. You know, and just imagine what it would be like to be a slave. You're serving your master, you're doing the right thing, and he beats you anyway. And you have to respond with grace. You have to demonstrate the fruit of the Spirit. Isn't Jesus asking for too much? Well, well, then, Peter goes on and says, For to this you were called, because Christ also suffered for us, leaving us an example that you should follow in his steps, who committed no sin, nor was deceit found in his mouth, who when he was reviled did not revile in return. When he suffered, he did not threaten but committed himself to him who judges righteously, who himself bore our sins in his own body on the tree, that we, having died to sins, might live for righteousness, by whose stripes you were healed. For you were like sheep going astray, but have now returned to the shepherd and overseer of your souls. Now, I recognize that there are some people in this room who have probably endured some incredible injustices throughout your life. And maybe as you sit here today, you are bitter about how so-and-so hurts you, how so-and-so is not treating you fairly. And maybe you look back in your childhood, and and there's this that went on and that that went on, and, and you want an eye for an eye. You like verse 38. Because... You want vengeance. But, but folks, the greatest injustice that anyone has ever endured was when Christ bore your sin in his body on the cross. And it should have been your eye, your tooth, and your arm that were sacrificed that day. But instead, Christ took your punishment in his body. And those Jew, the Pharisees, the soldiers, they were spitting on him. They were mocking him. You know, Jesus could have winked an eye and they all would have fallen over dead. But he, st- but he stayed there. He hung on that cross. He didn't speak a word. And it says there that, that he committed himself to him who judges righteously. He trusted the Lord. So, so maybe you're sitting there today and you're thinking, man, this is, this, is, this is absurd. I, mean, I, 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 mean, I, I can't even comprehend that kind of, of gracious spirit towards people. I mean, that's, that's nonsense. That's crazy. Well, well, if that's you today, then I would say, first of all, that, that there might be that you have never come to know the grace of Jesus truly through salvation. That, that, that when Jesus went to the cross, He set the example of grace and generosity in the face of cruelty and evil. And if you have never come to Christ for salvation, you have never owned how you have sinned against God and your need of grace and and come to Him for forgiveness, I pray that, that as Peter says, that you will today return to the shepherd of your soul. 
come to Christ and receive a grace that is unlike anything we see in humanity. And from there, maybe you're carrying some deep hurt over past injustices. And you don't want to forgive. You don't want to be generous. And yes, it's true that Jesus is asking a lot of us. Things that that are hard for us to comprehend. But understand that He is not asking more of you than He already gave you through the Gospel. So Christ's disciples must be known for grace and generosity, not for wrath and vengeance. Lord, thank You today for Jesus. And thank You for the example that He set for us when He went to the cross And thank you that he bore our sin in his body. And Lord, I pray that if there's anyone here today that has never received the good news of the gospel, that today, Lord, that you would open their eyes to the beauty of Christ and they would be gloriously born again. And for those of us that know you as Savior, Lord, what Jesus demands is hard. But Lord, I pray that you would give us the Spirit of Christ, that Lord, we would love our enemies, and that Lord, we would leave vengeance in your hands, and that that God, we would be filled with grace and generosity. And God, I pray for people in here that are dealing with broken relationships, who are holding on to bitterness, that God, today, your Spirit would convict and drive those things out and replace them with godliness, love, and truth. And so help us this week to honor your word, to glorify your name. In Jesus' name, amen.